Thank you for listening to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. For copyright and disclaimers, as well as information about how to contact the iCritical Care staff, please listen to the notice at the end of this podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Savell. Joining us today is Ruth Kleinpell, PhD, RN, FCCM. She is currently a professor and director for the Center for Clinical Research and Scholarship at Rush University Medical Center School of Nursing in Chicago, Illinois. And she is also a nurse practitioner at Our Lady of the Resurrection Medical Center, I believe also in the Chicago area. And uh, I'm very excited about having her here today. I've had an opportunity to speak with her before. Very uh, invigorating speaker and very much a role model, currently also on council of SCCM. And she was recently a lead author on an article published in Critical Care Medicine focusing in on nurse practitioners and physicians' assistants and their role in the intensive care unit where there is a bit of a paucity of the literature. And I'd like to begin, if I could, by letting us hear a little bit about your personal background and how you ended up with the unique career pathway that you currently have. Great. Well, thanks for the opportunity to participate. And my background, I was a critical care nurse in a surgical ICU for over 15 years. And uh, from that perspective, have cared for many uh, intensive care unit patients. And I actually had the opportunity, my original preparation was as a three-year diploma nurse. And then I had the opportunity to go back to school to obtain my bachelor's. And then I received my master's and my PhD. And during that timeline, Uh, became an advanced practice nurse, and had the opportunity after I graduated with my doctorate to begin work at Rush University Medical Center. And I've been there now for what's 18 years now already, and I work uh, in a dual capacity there. I am the director of our Center for Clinical Research, which bridges the College of Nursing and the hospital to do clinical research projects. We're a magnet-designated facility And with that designation comes the expectation that clinical nurses are involved in active research and quality improvement projects. So I help to facilitate those. And then I also teach in the College of Nursing in both our graduate and our doctoral programs. I'm also certified as an acute care nurse practitioner, and I practice part-time at a community hospital in that role. And I really had the unique opportunity, I think, when the acute care nurse practitioner role was developed. You know, in the U.S., we have had nurse practitioners now uh, for over 30 years. And the original focus of the nurse practitioner role, which is an advanced practice nurse prepared at the master's level, but the original focus was on primary care. And we've had some other specializations of nurse practitioner care. But in the 1990s, there was really a need to have an advanced practitioner start to help in the management of patients in the intensive care unit settings. And for a lot of different reasons, there were changes in, you know, medical residency coverage, uh, decreases in terms of of work restriction hours that have occurred uh, most recently, and really a, a shortage of intensivists. And we all know that it's best and optimal to have an intensivist, but there is a current shortage, and we foresee that to persist. And so looking at the advanced practice nurse to help fill in some of those aspects of patient care 
evolved. And so in the 1990s, the role started to occur where nurse practitioners were being trained and educated to work in intensive care units. And I had the opportunity when we were starting our program at Rush University to actually go through the first cohort with several of my other faculty colleagues and obtain that educational degree and then receive national certification for that. And so I've been practicing in that role as well as uh, teaching in the program. So there's numerous parts of this that I find very, very fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit more about that key transition when you went from having the important job of being a bedside SICU nurse to then adding on and getting more uh, education and, and getting your master's and then to the PhD. That's the part that fascinates me. What what was the impetus? What was your uh, what, was what was pushing you to do that? Sure. Well, I'm originally uh, from the Midwest, from uh, Ohio, and that's where I have my three-year training degree. But I relocated to Chicago in the late 1980s and began work at University of Illinois Hospital in their surgical ICU. And they actually had the unique a tuition waiver program so that as long as you worked as a staff nurse for 50% or so, 80% of your time, you could get tuition reimbursement. And so I took advantage of that opportunity and went back for my to complete my bachelor's and master's. And then they had a program that you could actually fast track into the PhD program. It was never my intent, you know, when I returned to school for my bachelor's that I would actually end up going straight through that sequencing, but it actually worked out beneficial, you know, in retrospect to be able to do that. Now, to work as an advanced practice nurse, one needs at least a master's degree. So a mm-hmm. PhD is not required, but obviously to teach uh, in a program or a school of nursing, one is required for that as well. So that's sort of why, you know, I pursued those two degrees. Yeah, no, yeah, no. and, and how, what, what was the focus of your PhD, or, or did that transition you into what the rest of your research focus has been on? Was that Was that stemming from your PhD? Well, the research uh, that I did for my uh, master's program was looking at needs of families when they have a patient in the intensive care unit. So it was directly related to critical care family needs. And then for my dissertation, I still looked at intensive care unit issues, but focused in on outcomes for elderly patients, comparing middle-aged to elderly patients, looking at their outcomes after ICU. So that's sort of been an area that I've had an interest in, in terms of looking at how do patients do after an ICU stay. And when you're when you're working with uh, trainees, do you find you know sort of turning people uh, into into academics like yourself in terms of having careers that are involved in academia? It seems to me some of the the biggest challenges you know are, are that going back and re sort of going back to school mode can be very difficult where you're used to not doing that, gaining the skills, and also writing. I mean, you, you have to do lots and lots of writing. Has that been, have you noticed that yourself when you're working with trainees, getting them in the mode of, of writing again when they may not be used to it, that kind of thing? Sure. You know, going back to school for any professional requires obviously time and dedication and refocusing, but I think that most of our students that come back seeking their master's degree or seeking a nurse practitioner degree really see the career opportunities that they can have with an advanced degree. Many times it's demanding of them because they still maintain their clinical practice while they're in school, but I think as they get more into the coursework and learn more about managing patients with critical illness, they really uh, enjoy that part of it as well. And when you're working with with people that are getting their um, their nurse practitioner degrees, are there people that combine that with PhDs, and do you help mentor them with that, or, or tell me tell me some more about that because I think that's an important area. Sure, some do. Uh, some pursue a doctorate. There's actually a new option for advanced practice nurses. It's called a clinical doctorate, and the designation is DNP, 
And so that's an option for advanced practice nurses to have a doctorate who may not want the PhD, which has traditionally been a research degree. Would you say the majority of the, the students that you supervise are getting a master's degree, and do you work with them on different research projects? How does that work? Do you have a cadre that are sort of working primarily with you in terms of different areas, or, or what are your what is your focus on that? We do. We have we currently have funding. I have funding currently from the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality to do a research. Uh, it's a five-year study looking at the impact of a discharge intervention for patients who've been in the ICU using telehealth. So we have some students hmm. who have been working on that. I've also done some research looking at acute care nurse practitioner roles, and some students have been interested in that, but we really try and tap into what they're interested in. So really trying to look at clinical impact research, so the impact of maybe an intervention on reducing ventilator-associated pneumonia or urinary tract infections. We really try and focus on clinically applicable research that we can benefit as a multidisciplinary team. And um, But all of your research isn't necessarily in the ICU setting, or, or is it? Uh, no, in terms of when you're on some of these projects? I'd say majority is critical care focused, it but it can span you know, post-discharge, that whole trajectory of care. Because I was thinking of, of all of the, often, especially I guess in New York State, the IRB challenges and things like that in terms of working with students to get these projects through IRBs for consent issues in the ICU. I was just thinking that those can often be insurmountable challenges, and it can be frustrating for somebody who's sort of get early on in, in trying to do academic things, you know? Right. Well, even for our clinical nurses, we have a lot right. of uh, bedside clinical nurses who are doing research at the bedside, particularly in our ICUs, to look at quality improvement projects. And so we do help to facilitate their application to the Institutional Review Board. And I think I have to say a lot of IRBs are actually looking at those at the value of having those clinical studies uh, not only for patient care improvement, but also to be able to publish those. Nowadays, you actually need IRB approval or at least right. expedited right. review even for some of your quality improvement projects to be able to publish that data. So I think it's gotten easier as well. Well, that's good. I, I know that that was one of the controversies that came up with Dr. Pronovost's um, important work in Michigan where sure. there were some, some national IRB issues with that. I wanted to also, and again, you've become very involved, obviously, with SCCM, and and do you help? Was there a particular role model for you to help get involved with SCCM, and and do you help mentor others, I would imagine, to also take that on? It's it's not a trivial issue. Getting involved can be often... It's important, but taking that first step can be very difficult sometimes. Sure. I actually have had some wonderful opportunities to be involved with the the Society for Critical Care Medicine, starting out with uh, being a member on the membership committee, and then I've uh, evolved to several committees. I was on the research committee, um, had the opportunity to be on the program committee for the past eight years, and I'm currently serving as co-chair for the 2011 conference. And through my involvement, I actually have found it to be beneficial to not only network with other health professionals who have similar interests, but also to learn more about the society. And I am serving my first, uh, going into my second year of council, so I'm a council member. But I would have to suggest that to any SCCM member that it really is quite an easy um, thing to get involved. There's a, a volunteer form on the SCCM website that anyone can fill out that they identify an area of interest they have, whether it be working with a particular committee ethics committee or program committee or membership committee, many different opportunities. We actually have our creative community, which is the volunteer uh, uh, network within SCCM that has many opportunities for members to become involved. 
I think this is a really important conversation and one I actually haven't had on a podcast before because um, I, I switched uh, to my current position a couple of years ago and I've had a, more than a couple of people come up to me and say specifically that I'd like to get involved, but I'm not quite sure how. And I, I think that your point emphasizing that there is a need and that is not all that challenging to get involved is very, very important. And I'm, and I'm glad you took the time to talk to me about that. Um, I thought the the last step that we would talk about today, and we can spend quite a bit of time on this actually if you want, because it is such a complex, multifaceted issue in an area of one of your areas of expertise, are the role of nurse practitioners and physician assistants in the intensive care unit. The current unit I work in, there are critical care fellows and then PAs, and we actually have PAs that are part of a surgical residency and actually a critical care residency, so they're PAs in training, although they're training after their initial degree is not as formalized as, as certainly medicine uh, medical residencies are. But uh, I thought if we could take a few moments, and this actually dovetails into a topic that I have to talk about tomorrow in terms of 24-7 coverage, and I, I quote your paper in that, focusing on, on some of the outcomes that seem to be improved. So let me let you take it from there. Sure. Well, I think you know there's been a lot of opportunities to integrate both physician assistants and nurse practitioners into the multidisciplinary team. And, uh, you know, for many reasons, uh, again, I mentioned before the, the decrease in residency coverage hours, the shortage of intensivists, and actually the acuity level of patients in our ICUs as well, um, really mandate that we have more coverage within the intensive care unit of expert practitioners. And I know that nurse practitioners and physician assistants have sort of been uh, termed physician extenders, although if you ask them particularly about that phrase, they probably wouldn't, you know, liken it to, to really what their role is. The joint commission. I just want to make it clear I did not use No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the joint commission actually designates the term licensed independent practitioner uh, to group these providers, but we actually just group them as, as terms of advanced practice clinicians, you know, in terms of advanced practice nurses or nurse practitioners and then physician assistants. And there's similarity uh, as well as differences in their roles. Uh, physician assistants are definitely uh, bachelor's prepared. About 40% are bachelor's prepared and about 40-some percent have master's degrees. Um, currently in the U.S., there's over about 63,000 physician assistants. And their training is, is definitely they're educated in the medical model. And so they're designated to really complement physician training and they bring value to the multidisciplinary team in terms of really helping to manage patient care, you know, in all aspects. Uh, many of them have specializations, whether it be in pulmonary care and assisting with weaning, some do surgical assisting, uh, many different roles. And the American Academy of Physicians Assistants website, um, you know, gives a further overview on really their role as well as their training. Um, they're basically taught to, to focus in on diagnosis and treatment of medical problems, and their education really involves a broad spectrum in terms of anatomy, pharmacology, pathophysiology, clinical medicine, uh, diagnosis, and then they do a variety of clinical rotations. So they do have, uh, you know, directed, yeah, directed preparation. And the history was out of, my understanding was out of the Vietnam War, is that when they first, they were coming out of medics in Vietnam? Exactly, from uh, medic training as well. So it has evolved uh, really into a, a professional career option for those um, who have a distinct interest. I think to contrast the nurse practitioner, um, they're trained in an educational model that is nursing. So it's a master's degree in nursing, and their education is similar in terms of graduate coursework 
in pharmacology, pathophysiology, physical diagnosis, you know, lab interpretation, clinical management of patients. They do a variety of uh, directed clinical experiences, and they sit for national certification. That's actually required um, in the United States uh, to, to function as a nurse practitioner. And Really, the, the differences in their education and training compared to physician assistants, I think nurse practitioners um, have uh, education specifically focused not only on the management of patients, but also in terms of research and quality improvement and, you know, more of that, uh, more, a little bit extensive uh, training in terms of those realms of care. Um, and, you know, as, as nurses, they have had interactions with patients and families. So in terms of education, teaching, um, that that can be sent some of their focus areas as well. But both physician assistants and nurse practitioners complement the multidisciplinary team to work with the intensivist-led team to really help manage patient care. You know, they work under protocols, they work as part of the team under the direction of the physician uh, team to provide they care. They both can do uh, and become incredibly facile with procedures and things like that, obviously. They can. Uh, they're credentialed. The advanced practice nurses are credentialed and privileged through the medical staff office, so the same requirements that are held to physicians. Uh, physician assistants as well can be credentialed and privileged, but oftentimes work directly with the physicians in terms of their collaborative practice agreements, in terms of their skill work. Um, but the focus, I, I think, it really is dependent on the role. You know, there's some advanced practice clinicians who are doing some invasive skill work, such as inserting central lines or, you know, chest tubes. That's the case where I work. And yeah. some are not. You know, so it really depends on the needs within the organization uh, in terms of the role as well. I was under a conception from when I was working with nurse practitioners in residency that I thought their prescribing privileges were slightly higher than NP, than, than PAs. I thought they could in, prescribe in, more independently, but... They can, to... but it depends on the state. There's okay. Each state in the U.S. has individual uh, regulations with respect to the type of prescriptive authority, but all 50 states have prescriptive authority for nurse practitioners. Uh, some can you know, prescribe fully within the controlled substance arena, and others are restricted and may have to prescribe under protocol, so it varies. Um, one of the issues that I am not an expert on confuses me, and I'm not sure I want to address it in this one, is is the billing under PAs versus NPs, but I, I am sure that there are listeners who would want to address that, so maybe we could. Sure, and you know, we won't. that could be a whole separate podcast for you with, with Dr. George Sample. I know right. he's right. an expert on that as well, but yes, um, you can have billing and reimbursement for advanced practice nurses. I know of that particularly, um, and that has to do with how they're employed. Um, if they're employed by the hospital, their salary really cannot be traced to what's called the the cost report form, um, so that it's traced back to Medicare reimbursement Part A. So you have to remove them from the hospital re, um, cost report, or you have to hire them through the physician practice group. Then you can bill for their services through, particularly through uh, Medicare as well. So it depends how they're hired. Then exactly, and, I see. And then one other, I've sort of brought this up before, but nurse anesthetists are a form of nurse practitioner, correct? No, they're a form of what's called the umbrella term is advanced practice nurse. Oh, I thought they were actually nurse practitioners. Yeah, no, there's a umbrella term of advanced practice nurse. And under that umbrella term, and they're all graduate prepared, master's degree, there are nurse anesthetists who deal, obviously, with providing anesthetic agents. There's clinical nurse specialists who work in hospital settings primarily as well as others to do 
focus on education and training and patient care management. There are certified nurse midwives who work directly in obstetrical care. Uh, and then there are nurse practitioners. So there's actually in the U.S. four advanced practice nurse roles. And the, and the, and the, the training programs then would obviously be different yes. than I would imagine. They're not the, and so there aren't people then in general who practice as a nurse anesthetist and a nurse practitioner. They, in general, they're, they're separate? Right, they're separate. The nurse anesthetists are certified registered nurse anesthetists. So they use I the see. term CRNA. I was wondering if you could take a few minutes to end up talking about some of the interesting uh, findings that you gleaned from your looking at the literature here in terms of improved outcomes with um, nurse practitioners and PAs. Right. And, you know, that this is an area of intense interest because many institutions are looking to see how they can integrate uh, nurse practitioners and physician assistants into the multidisciplinary team. And we have a number of institutions that have successfully implemented them into their care models. And so the literature that we have points to their effectiveness in terms of impacting patient care outcomes, whether it be decreasing length of stay or decreasing costs of care. Um, we know that they provide uh, patient education, staff education. Um, we know that they actually bridge that gap in terms of communication with families, uh, discharge planning, leading some research and quality improvement initiatives. When we look at the patient care management piece of it, again, it's in conjunction with the team. So it's helping to conduct patient rounds and history and physical exams and helping to you know, manage uh, treatment of, of conditions within the intensive care unit. Um, in terms of the literature, though, what we found was that there is not much that's been published on official research on the use of nurse practitioners and physician assistants within the critical care arena. There have been some select studies looking at the impact of, for instance, physician assistants on trauma care and in decreasing length of stay. There's been some studies that have looked at advanced practice nurses, acute care nurse practitioners, in terms of the impact of them increasing adherence to guidelines. So for instance, um, adherence to maybe sepsis protocols or looking at uh, practice guideline use in terms of DVT prophylaxis or stress ulcer prophylaxis. Um, there's been studies that really have looked at um, enhancements to care, what we call continuity of care. Uh, within the team. But I think that there is a tremendous opportunity, particularly for those organizations who have integrated advanced practice nurses and physician assistants, for them to publish on what they're doing with their models of care. I think that we could find value in our critical care community from hearing from these organizations. And I know I have colleagues who say they just don't have the time to do this, you know, that they're busy and they, they know they have models that are working. And so I would encourage the critical care community that has successful models of integration of these practitioners, of, of advanced practice nurses, nurse practitioners, and physician assistants to really, you know, tell us their experiences. Um, majority of the studies that have been conducted um, have focused on the impact on patient care management. Um, a variety of outcomes have been explored, but I think, you know, if we look at originally from the practice guidelines from the American College of Critical Care Medicine, their task force on models of critical care delivery that they identified that a multidisciplinary approach to the management of critical care patients, including the use of advanced practice clinicians, really enhances the quality of care in the ICU. You know, and sometimes that difficult, it's difficult to measure when you say, how do you impact outcomes of care? I do a, a fair amount of work really in, in presenting and publishing on assessing outcomes of particularly advanced practice nurses. You know, how can you sh 
show and demonstrate the benefit of what you do. You know, we had a number of years ago, hospitals were looking at how they can save and cut costs. And so they had uh, consultants come in and they saw the higher levels of salaries of some of the advanced practice nurses and said, well, maybe you can do without as many. And so when they cut positions, they found out that, well, they really were responsible for so many other aspects aside from direct patient care management in terms of research and education of staff. And then they rehired them back. So sometimes until your position is eliminated, do others really understand? what you do in your role. So I always advocate for the clinicians to be proactive and really saying what they're doing in their role and how they're impacting outcomes and measuring the outcomes of their care. You know, have they decreased the rates of ventilator-associated pneumonia because they've implemented an oral care protocol and, you know, the ventilator bundle and they're doing audits and looking at improvements in care, whether it's pneumonia or urinary tract infections or sepsis. You know, we're all as a team trying to focus in on some of these aspects, but we know that the physician workload doesn't really enable them to get involved in data collection and audit reviews, and I think it's a perfect fit to integrate the advanced practice nurses uh, and physician assistants, not only in direct patient care management, but to look at how our models of care are impacting our patient outcomes. So, um, as I was saying before, I've, I've spent I've been lucky enough to spend most of my time as an attending intensivist in uh, training centers and where there may be nurse practitioners and physician assistants who will, in fact, be more knowledgeable than critical care fellows about or, or residents about particular issues. And I just thought, what from your perspective on this, working with physician trainees and, and how that all uh, how it all works, and, and that can be even the same case for a, a bedside nurse as well. <laughs> sure. Um, well, definitely, nurse practitioners and physician assistants uh, contribute to the education of residents as well as fellows. You know, we practice as a team, and we have some expert uh, clinicians, uh, physician assistants, as well as nurse practitioners. For instance, we have one who's put in over 500 chest tubes, and I told him, I said, if I ever need a chest tube, I want you to put my chest tube in. So, you know, I, I think we need to look at the expertise of some of the clinical team members um, and, and how they can bring value to the team. And so definitely participating in the education and training of some of the residents and fellows is, is part of the process. Um, and that's how we benefit patient care as well. And it can also be obviously very gratifying as a nurse practitioner or whoever to be able to help uh, teach critical care, young critical care physicians how to best care for their patients. And I think, you know, the reverse is true as well. We, we, we learn from our physician colleagues, and that's how we learn the whole concept of multidisciplinary care, because that serves the patient to the best. Well, this has been terrific. Today, we've been speaking with Dr. Ruth Kleinpell. She is a professor and director for the Center for Clinical Research and Scholarship at Rush University Medical Center. Uh, and we've been talking about nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and getting involved with the Society of Critical Care Medicine. I um, hope to have another podcast with you. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you. This concludes another edition of the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information, as well as access to over four years of archived podcasts. Join or renew your membership with SCCM, the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Members receive discounts on all SCCM educational programs and resources. Please ask to speak to a customer service representative or visit www.sccm.org 
For more information, the iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. Your host is the Society's Associate Editor for Podcasts, Richard Savell, MD, FCCM. Dr. Savell is the Medical Co-Director of the Surgical Intensive Care Unit at Montefiore Medical Center in New York City practicing under the leadership of Vladimir Kavetin, MDFCCM. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.